0: Father, we just thank you. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. We just want to give you thanks for all that you've done for us, Lord. Yes, Lord, you've you're brought more than joy or peace or love. Lord, you brought laughter into our lives. Exceeding joy, full of glory. Joy inexpressible. Full of glory. Father, this morning, therefore, even as we continue to meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. Speak to us, O Lord. Once again this morning, anoint us afresh. Open the eyes of our heart and show us in your word what does it mean to have life, your life, for your word says, this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And therefore this morning, teach us. Teach us, O oh Lord. And let us receive your word by faith. And let it have the power to work in our lives. And let it, and let all unbelief be removed and cast away this morning. All doubts and unbelief. We removed this morning, replace the lies in our heart by the truth of the word of God. Demolish strongholds. Establish, Father, kingdom standards in our hearts and in our minds. To that end, I pray that you would bless even the ministry and the speaking and the hearing of this word. Anoint us this, afresh this morning. We thank you, we praise you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we've been studying about the gospel of the kingdom and we understand that the, the gospel is about the king and his kingdom. Unto us a child is born, but a son is given, Okay, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and of his peace. There will be no end. And it says the zeal of the Lord will perform this. Okay. God is zealous for his kingdom. God is zealous for his standards. God is zealous for the name of his son. God is zealous for his own name. And ultimately, all the kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. And only one one king. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So we we are studying about the kingdom, right? That's possibly been the central focus of um, um, the teaching of Jesus and also the disciples. All right? Disciples also taught about the kingdom. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 to 3, you will see something very interesting. It says, um, The former account I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he through the Holy Spirit had given, had given what? Commandments. See, king, kings give only commands. They don't give any suggestions. Oh, you can choose this please, I mean. I mean, you choose his command, his will will be fulfilled in your lives. If you choose not to obey his command, his will will be fulfilled in your lives. Whatever that will is. Do you understand? Okay. If you fulfill and obey his commandments, his will of eternal life will be fulfilled in your lives. Of uh, being in the presence of the Lord forever and ever will be fulfilled in your lives. If you do not obey his commands, his will that you should be away from the presence of the Lord for all eternity will also be fulfilled in your lives. Both ways, his will will be established. Okay, so he's saying until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, how to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the word of God, to the kingdom of God. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. And what about the disciples? If you turn to uh, Romans chapter, not Romans, uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. Acts chapter 14 verse 21. And when he had preached the gospel to the city, to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. And then strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we through many tribulations must enter the kingdom of God. (coughs) and uh, Acts chapter 28, the last two verses. So I started from Acts chapter 1. The middle of Acts chapter 1 is 14. And last is 28. Um, Excuse me, just a minute please. Uh, It's, uh, yeah, uh, the last three verses, is it? Last three verses, one second. I will talk, I'll just let you know. It talks about the kingdom. Last verse, okay. Yeah. last two verses. Yeah. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the word of God, the kingdom of God, and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God and the King is who the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's teaching about the kingdom of God and about the King, <clears throat> which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now he is an under house arrest okay but the kingdom of god is always there all right it is something which is never going to stop so preaching the kingdom of god and teaching the things which concern the lord jesus christ and if you look at look through the apostles uh, epi- epistles you will see the subject of the kingdom of god coming over and over and over and over again so we need to understand that we as uh, people in the democracy, and especially living in these uh, days where we don't hardly have uh, um, have any ideas to what it means to be under a sovereign, okay, um, we have to rethink our entire life. That is the reason why it's repentance. Hmm. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So start changing the way you think from a democracy to the kingdom of God. I mean, you need to understand, this is very, very important, okay. I remember um, when I was in, um, several years back, uh, when I was in a youth group and we used to have elections to <laughs> have elders in a church. There are no elections in the kingdom of God. We are chosen, <laughs> we are elect, <laughs> even before the foundation of the world was laid. And he is also called the elect of God. He is the chosen of God, Okay. So you need to understand, there's a calling and there's a choosing. God does not elect, he doesn't choose popular opinion and say, okay, whom do you think should be your leader? No, nothing of that sort. God appoints leaders and it is to our, we, to our detriment that we don't submit to them. All authority ultimately comes from the Lord. So it is the gospel of the kingdom, and what are the ingredients, or what is the essential life of the kingdom? What is it? Um, what is what is it that characterizes a person or, or, or a subject of the kingdom? What does it characterizes? How does he? How do you define his life? Is found, of course, in a very famous verse that we all know very well. It's Romans chapter fourteen and verse number seventeen. We know it very well. What does it say? For the kingdom of God. Is not eating and drinking. Very clear. In other words, this kingdom, eating and drinking is considered concerned with this life. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? These things that the Gentiles seek. But you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. And all these things will be added unto you. Okay. So we, we have a different mindset altogether. Our mindset is not under the SUN. Our, our mindset is under the S-O-N, the sun. Jesus Christ, not under the sun. <laughs> if you are limited by sun, you are also limited by time. And you will see everything under the sun, S-U-N, that is, is vanity. It is a chasing after the wind. What is it? It's a chasing after the wind, yes. Oh, sorry, just a minute, please. Here, Peter. is a chasing after so under the sun we live under the sun so the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking and you see that even Solomon he gives his life to three things to enlightenment to enjoyment to enrichment the three E's triple E enlightenment means knowledge, wisdom a search for knowledge and he gets him and he studies everything perfectly and he says there is no end to the books okay and then second second thing he says this is futile he says yeah it is better to be wise than to be a fool It is, yeah it, it is better to walk in the light than to walk in darkness that is to walk with knowledge and not be ignorant but ultimately what's the use if both of them enter, are entering six feet under that is life under the sun. Okay. That is enjoyment. Sorry, that is en- en- enlightenment. And then it's enjoyment. What is enjoyment? Eat, drink. And he says, <laughs> a very powerful statement. Now he, he tests himself with wine. Okay. He, he says, I gave myself wine. He, yeah, he didn't say, I Gave he didn't say I, I am mean, sorry. I uh I f- gave myself to wine, meaning he says I I was absolutely under control. Okay, and I did it to the best of my ability to drink. And ultimately I found this was also useless. So enjoyment, enrichment, meaning tch, let me spend money in big, big constructions. The best of constructions. And he constructed, he brought architectures from everywhere. And entertainment. <laughs> okay. We will we look at uh, Mozart and all these people and we listen to them and we say, Oh, wow, in YouTube, right? But for them, those days those, there was no YouTube. So what does he do? He has always live performances only. Nothing is live telecast. It is live performance. Right in front of your eyes. And what does he say? Absolutely chasing after the one eating and drinking. That is characterizing life on this earth. And that is what he, that's what he says. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness. It is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that is the reason why it says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, if you turn there, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Look at that verse, beautiful verse. Blessed are those who hunger. Okay, what, do you, what are you hungry for? So you eat to satisfy your hunger. You drink to satisfy your thirst. Right? And he says the kingdom of God is not to live for satisfying your hunger and your thirst physically. What is the kingdom of God? It is to satisfy your hunger for and thirst for what? For righteousness. Okay, that is the kingdom of God. To, to hunger for this. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be satisfied. Filled here is, will be satisfied. Okay, So be complete, you'll be satisfied. Uh, Somebody was telling me, you know, just imagine you've been given a box with 500 pieces of a jigsaw, jigsaw puzzle. Okay, 400 pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. Okay, and then you open the box. No frame is given, no picture is given. What should be the ultimate uh, figure? Nothing was given. Oh, you are only given 400 pieces. And then you start to put put them together. You are not able to make one sense of anything. Okay. And then you realize, somebody said, Are actually it should be 500 pieces and you are only 400. Can you imagine what a futile exercise it will be? You have no idea what is the final picture. And you're trying to make a sense of two pieces together. That's exactly what it says in Romans chapter 8. The entire creation was subject to. Who subjected it? Not willingly, but it was subjected by Him in the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain to the glory of the freedom of the sons of God. What a tremendous statement. We'll try to understand that later on in us, in, if God willing in, in our future studies. Okay, so life is incomplete without God. You'll always be hungry. You'll always be thirsty. Nothing on this earth can satisfy. Only righteousness from God can. And he says, blessed are you if you realize that ultimately it is only the righteousness of God which will satisfy your hunger. It is the righteousness of God which will satisfy your thirst. That is the reason why I like that Psalm, no? In a, as a, as a deer panteth for the water, my soul longs for you, O Lord. What a beautiful verse. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness and you will be fulfilled. And therefore we need to understand what is righteousness? What is righteousness? I'll tell you something. What is a desire for righteousness? A desire for righteousness means a desire for having a right standing with God. I know one of the things if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that what is crooked cannot be made straight. (laughs) That's his ultimate conclusion. What is incomplete cannot be made complete, he says. And the fact of the matter is, all our lives are absolutely crooked and absolutely incomplete. And and if you read the entire book of Ecclesiastes, you will find that whatever he is doing is a chasing after the wind. It's a remarkable thing. Have you ever seen somebody chasing after the wind? Think about that. I mean, only once which I, I mean, at least only in one instance, I believe we all chase after the wind is when we try to fly kites. That is the only time you chase after the wind when you fly kite, at least in my experience. And when there is no wind, it suddenly you'll see how the wind changes, and the kite will go from this direction to this direction. And what are we doing? We are chasing after the wind. And he says, life chasing anything without God is absolutely chasing after the wind, even if you are apparently successful. And he says, I, 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 um. I enjoyed myself with mirth. Mirth means laughter. i talking about laughter today. And he said, it's all madness, he says. All laughter is madness. And that's precisely the reason why many of the stand-up comedians become, uh, become mad. Have you seen Robin Williams, who made so many people laugh, ultimately committed suicide? So many, I mean, stories of so many people who are pe- people who make other people laugh, whose lives are absolutely gone, even including Jim Carrey, the greatest of all the, um, at least the comedians, stand-up comedians, no, at least in our in our lifetime. No, what happened to him? Boss, depressed, oppressed, what have you? It's absolute madness chasing after the wind. And he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you will be fulfilled. Meaning, only one person can make you straight and follow that person. In other words, get your life right with God. That is righteousness. The desire to have a right standing with God. That is righteousness. Okay. Otherwise, you will never be satisfied. Okay. Hmm. That is the reason why you know what Paul says in Romans chapter 3 verse 7. Look at what he says. Five powerful verse. Uh, so, not for Romans chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 to 9. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Look at what he says. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. I thought was gain, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence. Now, this is a powerful verse. This man was a man who was after excellence. Okay. Alright. And if you try to excel in... Any other field other than in God, you will always be disappointed, okay? And there will be always an end. Remember that verse in Psalm 119. I have seen an end to all perfection, but your commandments are exceedingly broad. There is only one thing that can sustain your interest till the end of your life and all eternity. That is God. Otherwise, you will be going on what? Circles. What was? Will be. Ke Sara Sara. (laughs) It's exactly what. Solomon's life was. Okay. Yet indeed, I also count... All things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as tongue that I might gain Christ. And then he says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that, it's, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. He says, you know what? Ultimately, there is one thing that will fulfill you and will give you satisfaction is when you have a right standing with God. That is how you were made. You know that? You and I were created to be complete only and only in God. To get our approval only from God and not from anybody else. That is the reason why when God created the man and the woman, when he said, let us make man in our own image and he did everything, you know, what he, what he, what he, what he called them, You know, he says, he looked at all his creation and he said it was very good. So the first words that man heard from the lips of God is that you are not just good, very good. That is what you were made for. That is what you were made for. To get that approval from God. Or, what do you think about me, Lord? What do you? What do you think about me, Lord, is the only question that matters. <laughs> Nothing else. What do you think about me, Lord? Because that's what—that's exactly what you're made for. Otherwise, you'll be running after many lovers. Why many lovers? Because you have forsaken that one lover. And none of those lovers can satisfy you. Looked at that in several, several contexts. But what do you think about me, Lord, is the only question that matters to those people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What do you think about me, Lord? What's your opinion about me, Lord? Not the opinion poll. (laughs) But your opinion that all that matters to me. That's why I'm hungry. That's what I'm hungry for. Not what people say about me. I'm not here for public public opinion at all. Number of likes or dislikes. Number of comments or no comments. That's the reason why you don't even want comments, right? In all. we don't want to know what we, what you think about us, son. whether good or bad. Like it's like Laban telling, uh, God telling Laban, don't speak to him either good or bad. Just shut your mouth. <laughs> it's interesting though. Okay. So what's your opinion about me, O Lord? What you think, about me is the only thing that matters to me and nothing else. That is what it means to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But what do you say, Lord? Yeah, everybody's saying this. But what do you say, Lord? That's exactly what Jehoshaphat said to Asa, oh, sorry Ahab. Oh yeah, all the prophets are saying all this, but what does the Lord say? <laughs> but these are all the prophets of the Lord, but I know there's something, uh, if everybody is saying, yeah, 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 there's something wrong over here. I can't even hear one dissenting voice. What is this? Okay, uh is there any other prophet? Yes, there's another guy called Micaiah. But I hate him. Because he prophesies about, about uh, only bad about me and nothing. Good. Why should I call you good when you are bad? So, Nikhaya, what do you say? I will say what the Lord says. I don't have an opinion. That's exactly what the Prophet says. I don't have an opinion about anything. I don't have an opinion about you. I don't even have an opinion about myself. Only God's opinion matters in every situation. What do you think about this, Lord? So, that is the ultimate question that matters. So, when God declares us righteous, that's it. That is the reason why it says, if who can bring any charge against God's elect, for it is God who justifies, period. Who is it to condemn? Answer. It's a rhetorical question. No one. Why? Because Christ died for us, Christ was buried, Christ is risen, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, so who can bring any charge against God's elect? So what is your opinion about me, O Lord? What do you say about me, O Lord, is the only thing that matters. Let me show you an example. John's Gospel, chapter 8, if you will. Let's read from verses 1 to 5, which is not there in many of the modern translations, unfortunately, for them, because they have to please the apologetics community. It's okay, no problem. They're also serving the purposes of God. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Okay, it's very interesting. And when they had set her in the midst. Very interesting. They said to him, Teacher, 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 teacher. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, look look, look at the next question. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that she, she should be stoned. But, what do you say? Ah, Very interesting connotation. It's like, it's like reminding Jesus about his own words. What words were they reminding him of? Turn to Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 and 28. You'll know what, what those words they are reminding Jesus of. What are the words they are reminding Jesus of? His own words. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit Adultery. But I say to you, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that, right? You said, We saw this woman caught in the act of adultery and Moses said that you should stone him. But what do you say now, Jesus? Hey, guys, you didn't get my study. And most of the times, you don't get many of the preachings of Jesus, right? You didn't get it. You said, okay, do one thing. Verse 6 of John's Gospel, chapter 8. But what do you say? And What does Jesus actually? If anyone looks after, uh, after a woman with lust in her heart, he's already committed adultery with her. That's what he says, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, 28. And look at, look at what uh, John's gospel chapter 8 will say. Over from verse 6 onwards. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Because he would not, even look down, look up on that woman, even with anything. He wanted to protect the modesty of that lady. What happens? So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground again. What an awesome statement, no? Look at what he says the next verse. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience. I don't know what would have happened if one guy would have taken a stone. Maybe Jesus would have stood before him and said, okay, let me just first start judging you know, I don't know what you did to your wife yesterday. Everybody was convicted by their conscience. Went out. How? One by one. How did they start? It started with the oldest. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) It started with the oldest, the most righteous among them. At least. Looked at it and said, Boy, what a statement that is. What a statement that is. Starting with the oldest to the last and Jesus was left alone and woman standing in the midst and when Jesus had raised himself and saw no one but the woman, he said, Whom, where are, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is what we call as, you know what? Getting a right standing with God. That is the reason why Jesus says, how can you believe? (laughs) 5.44, John, No, how can you believe? If you seek honor from one another and do not seek honor that comes from the only God. It's only God. Or glory or the opinion of the only God that matters. So that's the first thing. What do you think about me, God? One of the very interesting questions that you can ask every day. Lord, what do you think about me? And most of us, we don't ask that question. We just go about, ah, it's okay, ah, yeah. Just every, one of the things that you can really, really ask, God, what do you actually think about me? And you know what? God will only reveal partially. Because if He reveals completely, you will not be able to take it. That is what we call as you know, receiving the love of what? (laughs) Love of truth. Truth about yourself. So that's the first part of righteousness. What is the first part of righteousness? Is Lord, what do you think about me? Okay. That is Getting right with God. Getting right with God. That's exactly what happened to the to the Pharisees, Kadu, to the tax collectors and the harlots. They got right with God. That is the reason why it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 28. It says, beautiful verses in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, what did they do? They justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Why? And what is the will of God? Repentance. This is the will of God. is repentance. We'll come to that. So the first part is getting right with god what is the second part of righteousness staying right with god (laughs) it's very straightforward very simple okay first part of righteousness is getting right with god second part of righteousness is staying right with god and in other words living by faith precisely right staying right with god is to live by faith, meaning pleasing God every time. And it is impossible to please God without faith. And it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we looked at that several times, but once again, no? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes For the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. In other words, it's only the life of faith will continue to give you a right standing with God. Anything which is outside of faith is what? What's exactly. Romans chapter 14 verse 23. Anything which is outside of God, for outside of faith, for a believer, is sin. Even if it is eating, or wearing, or watching, or speaking, or hearing. You have to hear from faith. Okay. You have to have the eyes of faith. You have to eat by faith. We have to walk by faith. Everything. We live by faith. And whatever is not from faith is what is sin. So getting right with God is one thing. And staying right with God is the other part of righteousness. And therefore we have to hunger for this life. L-I-F-E. Okay. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. Or rather light. And that light was the life of man. In him was light. And that light was the life of man. And I've come to give you life and life, how? Abundantly. And who has life? You and you alone have the words of life. And the words that I speak you are spirit and life. That is what matters. It is the life of God lived through you. Or in other words, it's the life of Christ lived through you is what the life of faith is all about. Simply put. It's a very simple thing, the most difficult to live. Most simplest truths in the Bible are the most difficult to live. Letting God to live his life through me, that is the life of faith. And that is the only thing which gives you a continuous right standing with God. (laughs) You have to continue in faith. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Romans chapter 11, Verse 22. Consider the goodness. What is the goodness of God? Goodness of God led us to repentance. And repentance which brought forth salvation. Right? Godly sorrow which brings salvation. And that gave us what, what standing with God? A right standing with God. And also the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness. We will come to that later on. Otherwise you will also be Cut offs. You have to continue in this life of faith. You, I mean, it's, it's, it's something which you can never ever say, okay, I've come and this is where I've arrived. No, 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 no. It is pressing on. Okay. One of the that characterizes the kingdom of God, the people in the kingdom of God is one thing. You know what it is? Purpose. All things work together for the good of those who, you sang that, no? <laughs> Today? I, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's. I hope we, we, we know exactly what we're talking, what we are talking and singing or confessing through our, through our lips. All things work together, together for the good of those who love God and who are they call according to His purpose. And if there is no purpose, and you know what, the only thing which keeps you excited till the end of your life is what purpose, and everything else is what chasing after the wind. Somebody said, it's a bubble, it could be a rainbow colored bubble, but it is still a bubble. What happens when you burst the bubble? What is there? What is left? That is exactly what vanity is. What remains after the bubble bursts is vanity. Emptiness is what uh, then most modern, modern translations will say pointless. The good news translation will say pointless. There's no point! What's the point in all this? No, we all are, we ask this question, right? Okay. So we have to continue in the goodness and that this is a straight, actually, actually, um the progression towards God is linear like this. The progression away from God is like this. Circular. What kind of a life are you living? Circular or linear? I wonder sometimes how the new heavens and the new earth will be. Old heavens and the old earth means what? The earth is revolving around the sun. Okay. Sun is moving in the universe at some speed. We can't feel that speed of course. Okay, Everything is moving around in one circle. And who allowed this to happen? God. He subjected it to <laughs> Futility like that. And if, that means what? If you are caught in this circular rut, that means you don't have any purpose. And the only one thing that can actually give you purpose and keep you interested till the end, you know what it is? Your purpose in God. And for those people who are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? To be conformed to the (laughs) image of his son. His character. His character. Okay. So, letting God live his life through me is how we can continue to have a right standing with God. Second part of righteousness. What is it? Staying right with God. First is getting right with God and staying right with God. So, these two keep going together. Whenever we fall out of line, we get in line. So, how do we stay right with God? if you turn with me to Romans chapter six and verse seven, which is the most unfortunate translation in every English Bible for he who has died has been freed from sin okay um, no other translation okay nothing no, no translation actually gives you the right right the word for freed is the same word as justified. Are cleared. Think about it now. What is the ultimate punishment that you can get? Death, for any for any crime. So once you die, are you cleared of your guilt? Yes, that's what he's saying. For he who has died has been justified. Meaning, meaning those who have been justified don't have a life of their own. That's a word for free. For he who has, so let me rephrase this, 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 uh, entire verse, Romans chapter 6 verse 7. For he who has been, sorry, for he who has died has been justified or cleared of sin. Meaning what? He's not living his life at all anymore. That is the reason why the life of faith is called, in other words, according to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Look at what it says, how we define the life of faith. I have been crucified with Christ. I like that, okay. He who has died has been freed from sin, right? I have been crucified with Christ. So if you, uh, anything which is not from faith is sin. So in order to be, first of all, you know, to get right with God and in order to stay right with God, we should not sin. Meaning you should not live anything outside of faith. There should be no life which is outside of faith. So he says, how do we live that life of faith continuously? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ is, lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by. You see that? I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. So what is the life of faith? Life of faith is His life through me. We know that several times Pastor says, Peter, come here. Peter comes. What is he doing? Peter is living my life. Get me a glass of water. He's living he's living my life. So if he's arguing, why do you why do you want me to come to you? Please give me reasons. At least ten reasons for me to come to you. You don't ask questions. Yeah. The one who has died doesn't ask questions basically. Meaning uh, he doesn't argue. I'm not saying that you don't have questions. Please don't misunderstand. Okay, yeah. There's no argumentation over there. So he says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So whose life are we living? It's essential we understand. The life of Christ. What was the life of Christ? So let us see a few examples. John's Gospel chapter 5 verse 19. To see what it means to stay right with God. Is to allow his life to be lived through us. Or rather the life of Christ will be lived through us. So what it says. Then Jesus answered and said to them. Most assuredly I say to you. The son can. The son can do nothing. Oh my goodness. Can he not do anything? Of course he can do. But you know what he did? He emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. That's what he says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being equal with God, did not take the position of God to be grasped. That means he never asked for his rights, but he held to them loosely. and made himself of no reputation, everything, you know, most assuredly I said to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner, my goodness. So what is he saying? I am not living my life. I am living my father's life. Show me the father. Thomas says, (laughs) if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Okay, I'm teaching Abigail math, okay for her it's one of the one of the areas of weakness for her is her calculations are very weak, okay she doesn't know the tables by heart like the way I used to know at her age. So what is my ultimate goal is to ensure that she almost becomes a calculator like me. So ultimately what happens when she gets trained she's living whose life the life of the father. So ultimate aim of discipleship is what? Become imitators of me even as I imitate Christ. He says, become imitators of God. That is what the ultimate aim of discipleship is. That is what we are following. We are not just following an idea. We are not following a doctrine. We are not following a theology. We are not following a teaching. We are following a life and we want to live that life he says the son can do nothing or in other words he has made himself in other words he has come to a point in his life that he does not want to do anything other than what he sees the father do even though he can do so many other things even though Abigail can do so many other things and does she like that oh no 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 she she fights it but one thing what our teacher is to sit and study One of the things I made up, make a practice almost eight hours every day, continuous. So she comes here at, uh, let's say 11.30, from 11.30 to 9 o'clock, she's with me. And most of the time she's with the book. That's funny. Okay. That's what we call as placing a yoke. Take my Yoke, come to me, all that you have or labored. Like, can we look at that verse? Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine, please. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I will and I will give you rest. Full stop. And how fantastic it would be if the verse ends there and the chapter ends there and Matthew ends there. But you know what he says? Take my yoke upon you and learn. From me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find—in other words—you will continue to have rest for your souls if you take my yoke and start living my life. What does a yoke do? You have two people. okay? Can two be, you be yoked together? You know? don't, don't be unequally yoked with unbeliever. Meaning, what happens? There's, there'll be a strong person and a weak person. Now, what is a strong person doing? He's guiding the weak person and leading him to live. The life that he wants us to live. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is what yoke means. She's living my life. Or rather, he is living my life. So we're not following a doctrine. We can do so many things, but what we have what have we done? We have joined ourselves to God. Like Levi. What do we say? Where you go, I go. <laughs> Where you live, I live. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die. What you do? I do. Simple. (laughs) That's the reason why he says, you are co-laborers together with who? With God. And once you are co-laborers, then we will become co-heirs. If we suffer with Him, only then we will be glorified together with Him. Otherwise, we will not be joint heirs. Understand this. Okay, so the Son can do nothing. In other words, he has chosen to do nothing other than what he sees the Father do. So he has to continuously see what the Father is doing. So that you will see that. Every day in the morning, he goes and keeps on asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Think about it. In the, during the, that's the reason why it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, don't have to turn there. In the days of his flesh, with, with vehement cries and tears, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. What does it mean, Lord? Not my will, Lord. I know I want to do so many things, Lord. Like, like Pastor keeps giving that example in Gospel according to Mark chapter one, where so many people need healing. But Lord, what do you think? Should I heal them, or should, do you have something else to do for me to do this day? I want to do what you ask me to do. Another, another place. Turn to John's Gospel chapter six, verse thirty-eight. For I have come down from heaven, what? Not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That is what it means to have a life of faith. Meaning, he lives my life. He's saying, I am not going to live my life. So I am living my father's life. So whose life will you live? The life of Christ. Just as he obeyed the father, you obey Christ. Just as Christ submitted to the father, you submit to Christ. Just as Christ lived the Father's life, you live the life of Christ. Just as He submitted His will to His Father, you submit your will to Him. That is crucified life. See, you cannot speak about this because it is not an idea. You cannot speak with, without about this with conviction until and unless there is an element of this established in your own life first. Where you have come to the point and said, not, not my will, Lord, but yours be done, at least to the best of your knowledge. I don't want to do, so, I can do so many things, but what do you want me to do, Lord? Not my will. That therefore it says in John's Gospel, chapter 7, we know our favorite verse, favorite verses, verse, verses 14 onwards, of course. We'll read from verses 14 to 18 to get the whole picture of this. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now, this is interesting. If you see how the feast, it's actually the feast of tabernacles, if I'm right. In the beginning of the feast, his brothers say, Go. If you want to be seen by his disciples, if you're by, by your disciples, you should go. And Jesus said, My time has not come, your time is already there. And afterwards he goes how? Secretly. Because his father asked him to go. In the till, so he's he's going there until the middle of the feast. He doesn't uh, speak anything. No, at the middle of the feast, now he starts uh, speaking. And what does he say at the end of the feast? Come to me, all those who thirst. For if you believe in me, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he and he was talking about what the life of the Spirit, whom the whom God would give to those who trust in Him. But the Holy Spirit was still not. Uh, Prodot? Why? Because he was still not glorified. So there's a beginning of the feast. He says, no. He middle of the feast and the end of the feast. We don't have to uh, study that later on, but you understand what is going on over here. Now, b- about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And, G- and the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know let us having not studied? Meaning, not studied, it doesn't mean that he never studied. The way they studied. He studied. Because every Jewish boy, in the land of Israel, had to do two things. First, he had to learn a trade. And he had to learn the, he had to know. First, he has to learn the word. And then he has to learn a trade. So Jesus learned the word. And he did carpentry. Peter, James, John learned the word. And they did fishing. Paul learned the word. And he did tent making. Everybody, they learned the word. And they learned a trade. Now, we don't have anything like that in these modern modern day generations. We first of all forget the word. Throw it out of the picture. First of all, completely out of the picture, please. We don't want the word. No, 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 no. Please, no. No word. Remove the word completely out of picture. And we give ideas. Every idea. You see, every science and technology is life under the sun. What do you say, Dr. Karu? Every robotic surgery, every drone, every space shuttle, every, every, what do you call, uh, what is that? Exploration to Mars, to see if we can colonize Mars. Is what? Life under the sun. And it is what? Going around in circles. No purpose. At the end of the day, you will feel absolutely useless and say, what did I do? You know why? We didn't find those sum, S-O-N. And he says, and Jews marveled and said, how does this man know? Letters having not studied, having never studied. For your face, I didn't ever study. I studied, but not like you. In fact, I was in the temple, listening and asking questions. I studied. I mean I, I sometimes find really, really interesting. Can you imagine the Son of God who created the whole world? Who is called the what? The word? <laughs> he is sitting in the temple and listening and asking questions and giving answers to. Morning by that he has to increase in wisdom? Hello. That he has to learn obedience? Can God learn? If he... The whole definition of God. See, Christianity is like that. What you think is not what it is. (laughs) Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. And then he says, If anyone wills to do the will of God, or his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God, or whether I speak of my own authority. Verse, Verse 18. For he if anyone's wills to do Verse eighteen verse eighteen he who speaks for himself from himself seeks his own glory but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him so you know what he's saying first of all I only say the uh, do the things my I see my father do i my my will is to do his will third I only seek his glory and therefore my doctrine is not my own I'm not my own Eight twenty-eight. Look at this. Then Jesus said to them, "When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I can do nothing of myself, but as My Father taught me, I speak these things." And then, and He who's and uh, uh, and He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. This is the life of faith. Not once or twice, but always. But without faith it is impossible to. <laughs> please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, right? Don't have to turn there. What is that? It's the walk of faith. Who is he talking about? Enoch. Where you agree with God and submit to the will of God and obey the will of God in all things in all things i remember alistair beg in one of his, uh, his uh, teachings you know what he says he's got a congregation full of scientists and all kinds of people from different different backgrounds he said i know your guys of you guys are of of, of uh, belong to different research labs and you belong to different different domains in of, of of the industry but let me tell you something you may have so many ideas which you have learned from your university but one thing you have to do is whatever ideas you have learned One thing you have to will is, Lord, whatever your word says, I submit to it. I don't bring my own ideas to it. To the table. Finished. Over. Game over. That is what we call as trusting in the Lord. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And verses 5 to 8. It says, trust in the Lord with how much? With all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths with all your heart and then he says verse seven do not be wise in your own eyes fear the lord and depart from evil for it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones actually it says ma it's like um, health to your flesh and marrow to your bones Okay, health to your navel and marrow to your bones, because you know, out of your navel, out of your belly, shall flow rivers of living water. That is what life is. From what is there in your gut? I remember when when I was going through a time of deliverance, right? What part of my body was aching? My navel. You should see the cramps that I was having here. Was some incredible experience. Shall be health to your to the navel and marrow to thy. Bones. Life to your bones. Blood to your bones. Marrow. That is where the life is generated. Fresh life of God. Unless you eat of my bread, I'm a, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. It is my life you are living, not your own life. I am the bread that has come from heaven. That means what? You have to eat of me. You have to take part of my life. You Whatever you eat becomes you, right? Eat me. Eat me. That is the reason why Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16. You know what Jeremiah says verse, chapter 15 verse 16. Look at what he says. Your words were found. <laughs> your words were found. I, I I like that. What is your words were found? That means you were. Your words were found. That means you were searching. Thank you. You are seeking. Your words were found and I ate them and your word was for me was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart for i'm called by your name O lord god of hosts i eat of your flesh and that's exactly what they had to do with the passover lamb they're to roast it nicely and eat it and who is the passover lamb jesus christ was the passover lamb who was slain for us you eat the life of christ we eat the word. We don't study the word, yes we study, but we eat it, we take part of it and make that word of God my life, nothing else. Why? thirty twelve of Proverbs in KJV if you do if you will, please. KJV. There is a generation. <laughs> that is pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their what? Filthiness. They are filthy still. A generation. They are pure in their own eyes. But yet, they are not washed in their you can only talk about this Galatians chapter twenty two verse twenty. What you, the life of Christ, the crucified life. You can only talk about this as much as this crucified life is a part of you, as much as you have allowed the work of God to become the, the work of the cross to be a part of your life. You cannot speak of this more than that. You're convicted. I mean, you'll be found out <laughs> easily. So, cruci- uh, cross is not an idea. My old man was crucified. And you are to continuously crucify those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. It's a cross crucified. Let me see if I can find that quotation by uh, A. W. Tozer in uh, one of his books. He's called the Cross, and uh, Uh, just a minute, if I can find it for you, one of my favorite books, I should have, Okay. Oh, it's not there. I don't know where it is. Alright, uh, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, I just wanted to show you, uh, the definition of what the cross means. And there's none other, no other better than, uh, Toza to, uh, to speak about that. Anyways, we'll talk about that later. (coughs) Alright, so. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Look at what it says. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. For us by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Who is that man? Jesus. Why did Adam, what did Adam say? My life. What did Jesus say? Not my life. You remember, remember the John Bon Jovi song? It's my life. What a famous song it was. Huh? It drove a whole generation crazy. It's my life. I don't know, you have to find those words for that song maybe. Just to see what they actually sang. Sometimes well, most of the songs are meaningless. It's my life, it's my world, whatever. It's all my, 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 my. And if you look at Romans chapter 7, you'll see the one recurring word or letter which entire Romans chapter 7 you know what it is the word thank you I it's I the killing of I is what he's struggling with he says oh wretched man that I am (laughs) who can save me from this body of death okay I the word I I think it occurs 28 times in the entire book of Romans I I, 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 I Philippians chapter three verse seventeen and seventeen to nineteen. Brethren, join me, join in following my example. Uh can you put it in uh KJV if you don't mind? KJV or uh followers of me. Okay. Brothers, brethren, be followers together of me and mark. Them which walk so as he have for us as an example. Why? No, he gives a reason. For many walk, because walk is signifying what? Life. It's one step at a time. It's the it's what we call as a is a is, is called a long obedience in a single direction. It is the patient acquisition of virtue, according to Eugene Peterson. I like that word. It's a Patient acquisition of virtue. If I can translate that into Telugu, it'll be beautiful. You know, when I'm, now I'm actually teaching in Telugu, right? I have to rethink the whole gospel in my language. It's a beautiful exercise. It's a fantastic exercise. It's the same message. Don't misunderstand me. When I'm rethinking it, there's so many things that are actually kind of falling into place. You should possibly, you can try it in your own language. You re- study your Bible in your, uh, uh, in, in English and then start, start translating your own, all those things that God teaches you in your own language and you'll see how things just fall into place. So beautifully. Patient acquisition of virtue is what we call as walk. It's a long walk. It's the walk of faith where you're constantly walking with God. Can two walk together unless they have agreed? What are you doing? What are you saying? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Every day of your life, right from the time when you get up in the morning, morning by morning, He wakens me, and I did not turn my back as one rebellious, and He gave me the tongue of a disciple because I had a tongue of, I had an ear of a disciple. And so because he taught me, I was able to speak a word in season to those who are weary and I was able to give my back to those who broke my back and my and my face to those who pulled my beard. Can you imagine? Let me tell you something, my dear brothers and sisters who are watching, brothers over here and sisters who are watching. Life is hard on this side of eternity. Don't ever get used to comfort. Don't pamper your flesh. It's hard. Teach your children also the same thing. You be like Abraham say, Abraham, Isaac, get up. Chop the wood. Put it, in, put it on your shoulders. Carry it up the mountain. Okay. Life is hard. And that's the reason why, you know, we have this very famous saying in our church, hard work didn't kill anybody. <laughs> it doesn't, actually. You can try it out. And the, Earlier you will learn it in life and make it a part of your life, the easier for you. Otherwise you'll struggle for the rest of your life. The discipline to acquire discipline is itself a discipline. That's my statement. You can put it in golden words. Okay. Understand that my dear brothers. It's a spiritual discipline. And many, 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 many people fall away there. Fall away there. Okay. So he says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell and now even I tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. You see that? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame and whose mind is on earthly things. You see, their mind is totally preoccupied with eating and drinking on this life. It is not righteousness, it is not peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Are you a king? Asked Pilate. Yeah, I am a king. But do you think my kingdom is of this earth? Of this world, if it, if my kingdom is of this, of this world, my servant will come and fight and you fellows will not even be there. One angel can slaughter the entire, entire army of this world. 180,000, right? Slaughtered in one night. I mean, I don't know how it went. One guy called Hezekiah went and prayed in the temple of God, slaughtered everybody there on the other side. One angel came and slaughtered 180,000. You, you see, you can only imagine what 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 might have happened. You can only imagine. Okay. You can only imagine the spiritual realities. You can only. You can. You have, eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard. Okay, it's impossible for to for us to conjure up with our earthly mind. So, what is happening over here? Their mind is on earthly things, whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly? What satisfies them now? Sometimes if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes and you'll say, "What is this Bible bo, book doing in the Bible?" <laughs> if everything is pointless, what is the point of this Bible, of this, of this, of this, of this book? The point of this book is everything is pointless without me. That's the point. And he, what does he call himself? You know, the word for preacher actually is "koholit" um, in the in the Hebrew Koholeth, which actually means speaker. Okay. Speaker, speaker, is speaker in the House of Commons or in the Parliament. No, in the Parliament there is one called one, one guy called Speaker, and what is he doing? There is a session which is going on. There is a uh, there is a bill which they want to want to pass. There is a for for the bill and there is an against for the bill, and the Speaker is the one who is presiding over this bill. And what is the bill? What is a bill that is being passed? What is the purpose of this life? That is the bill which is being passed, and there are arguments for and against, and who is presiding over it? Solomon himself. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is this argument, which is going on. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point? And you see, more of the points are pointless, he says. Pointless. Pointless to be righteous, he says. Pointless to be wise, he says. Pointless to acquire wealth. Why? I acquired wealth, but I don't have time to enjoy it now. And the frustration is I'll be leaving it to a person who has not worked for it. And it aggravates him. I don't know whether that fellow will be wise or he'll be a fool. Exactly his worst nightmares come into come into reality when he has Rahabam. That nutcase of the first of the first order, in other words. What does he do? What does he do? He doesn't listen to the elders, right? Elders, right? The worst nightmares come. We get aggravated, son. And it's no, it's pointless. Why? God is now. That is the reason why it says in First uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, it says, if you have hope in Christ Jesus in this life only, of all the people, you are most to be pitied. You're pitiable of all the people. You're most to be pitied. If your life is without God, absolute, he has got an absolute, he has a guy who has. Not sensible at all, in Rehoboam. We'll come to uh, Solomon a little later. So, for many walk, of whom I have told you, often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, and whose mind is on earthly things, preoccupied with earthly things, preoccupied. You know what? That is satanic doctrine. Satanic doctrine is not uh, okay, come and worship me. You know what satanic doctrine is? Worship yourself. Okay. Jesus says, not my life. Satan says, it's your life. Come on, man. Live for it. Jesus says, lose your life. Satan says, gain your life. Jesus says, gain your life by losing it. What does Satan say? Gain your life and then lose it. I mean, he doesn't say, lose it. We don't know what is going to happen. We don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what happens? Who knows what what happens on the other side? You see, one of the things that you'll understand, right? For any pursuit, you you need to give time. Okay. And you don't have sufficient time to enjoy it. You know that? And that's one of the biggest frustrations of many people. They work, 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 and the end of their life they will enjoy. By that time they're all almost spent and gone. And they'll say, what is the whole point in all this? So satanic doctrines, what is the doctrine of Satan? It is not worship me, practice occult, do witchcraft, that is all later. What is satanic doctrine? Live your life. Exactly, no? 1621, Matthew. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And what does uh, Peter do? Then Peter... Took him beside, began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord! This shall not happen to you." But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense to me. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not mindful are the things of God, but the things of man. You are mindful. You know what it says in the KJV? I like the word in KJV. Savorist. I love that. Beautiful. You do not savor the things of God, but the things of man. You know what savoring is?" Tasting. Tasting matlab appreciating. Are you able to appreciate? Like, you know, your wife cooks something for you and then you take the first morsel and she's waiting. Are you eating or are you appreciating? Most of the times what men do, they eat. They don't appreciate. How is it? They forget. Because it's already gone. <laughs> it's already gone, no? Oh I, I remember one one guy who came to our lab no he was uh, he was a candidate for become the assistant professor so he has to uh, he has to have the interview with all the faculty you know it doesn't matter which if you're on a lecture or uh, or anybody so he has to have a uh, has to have a session with all the departments so he came to my desk and he started explaining his research to me okay so he's opening his laptop and he's showing me all his slides and the work that he has done in robotics and he's looking at me and he's saying um are you able to appreciate it?" Every time you would look through the slide and you would say, are you able to appreciate it? And I'm saying, what do you mean by that? How can you appreciate it if I don't know what you did? You're able to appreciate because you know, the kind of thoughts that you had to think, the kind of hard work that you had to do, the kind of uh, concepts that you had to study, the th- things that you had to put all things together to come up with this idea and a concept. I can't. Only you can. You know why? Because you lived it. It's an experience. You know why most of us don't have an ex- we don't savor it it's because we never experienced it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't savor the things of God. So we have savored so many other things. We have savored so many other things. And what happens is that when the word of God comes, we are not able to savour. We are not able to appreciate it. I like that word. Appreciate the word of God. Savoring is to appreciate. If you look at that, you do not savour the things of God, but the things of men. Or you do not appreciate the things of God, but you appreciate the things of men. Meaning you have a taste buds for the things of men, but you don't have the taste buds for God. For the things of God. I'll show you a verse um, um, in Psalms chapter 80 if I'm right. I'm right, Psalms eight, um, Psalm eight, and verse. <coughs> uh, oh my goodness! I should have. It says. when I get the word when you need the word you will not get it so that is the reason why you have to memorize it boss you have to keep it in your mind more than when their oil and wine increased their oil and wine increased it says it says Psalm 4, 7. Yeah, Psalm 4, verse 7. Thank you so much. Yeah. Verse uh, verse 6 and 7. Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and their wine has increased. lot of people when they get a promotion, oh, grain has wine. You look at the kind of prosperity that I have. They enjoy it, but it's only short-lived. He says, you put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and their wine increased. You see? You have to be able to appreciate the things of God. He says, appreciating the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men, but you're not mindful of the things of God. You don't have a taste for the things of God. Okay. So what what is there for? The the the, uh, the how do you how do you stay right with God when you begin to appreciate the things of God more than anything else? And then you say, Lord, I appreciate this more. I may not find it tasty now, but I know it's got to be an acquired taste over a period of time. It's like Halim. Initially, you would not like it. But after a while, you'll be looking forward to it. season I know so many people have looked at it. Gee, I don't want to eat it. Ay, just one day, one, one, one morsel. And when they started savoring it, boy. Now, every day Haleem during Haleem season. And if it's, if it's all through the year, why not? See? That is the reason there are some restaurants in Hyderabad where they serve Haleem all through the year. You know that, you know that, right? There are some restaurants which serve Haleem all through the year. You can enjoy it. And in, we went to one such restaurant actually. Haleem all through the year. See? It's a acquired taste. But once you start tasting it, boy, once you start, that's the reason why he says, desire the pure milk of the word of God. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You have tasted the Lord is good. You have tasted the goodness of God. Come on now. Savor the things of God. <coughs> that means, this is just not, um, what do you say, compulsive obedience. It is a obedience which you begin to enjoy and begin to savor. Understand? That is what, that is how you stay right with God. How do you stay right with God? You stay right under the blood and you stay right with God having a proper relationship with saying Lord, let your life be my life. Live your life through me and let my will be submissive to your will. Lord, I. if any man wills to do his will. So how do you prove what the will of God is it says in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 two things you have to do we know it very well Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a what sacrifice? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world or to the patterns of this world, it says in, in IV, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So begin, begin to be transformed and then you will be able to prove. You know what proving means? You will say, this is right. It's like, you know, once you start proving a theorem by yourself, Oh, oh. Look at the enjoyment, look at the light in your eyes when the first time you proved uh, Pythagoras theorem on your own. Oh, you should see the light in my eyes when I actually proved Pythagoras theorem using, what is that? Method of uh, so similar triangles. Oh, Method of similar triangles, method of areas, Euclid's methods. There are so many methods. Every method is a joy if you enjoy geometry. And then start, this is cute man, this is awesome man. Give me more, give me more. Something like that. That is when you've known that you've broken through. Okay, that's called Baal God of breakthrough. When you're broken through, now you start enjoying God. You got second, it's, like a nuts, it's not a, no, more, no longer a drudgery. It's pleasure. Okay, so that is the first part. That is, that is what is kingdom of God is what? Righteousness. And what is the second part of the kingdom of God? It is peace. Oh, what is peace? the peace peace comes from the he uh, from the greek word irene okay if anybody uh, has a friend who's, who's a girl of course and whose name is irene that means she's supposed to be a person who's peaceful or peace okay if we have so many irenes i know at least uh, when i was growing up i had a lot of irenes at least in our churches and also in our friend circle we have some irenes okay irene means peace in the Hebrew the word is Shalom okay which means complete or perfect okay okay complete or perfect so let's turn to KJV only because the KJV is the only translation which which renders it perfectly turn to first Chronicles chapter 28 verses 9 to 10 Solomon means man of Peace. Solomon means peace, right? Solomon, okay, man of peace. That's a reason. it was Jerediah, also called Solomon. Jerediah's means the beloved of Yahweh, okay. And uh, Solomon means a man of peace. Shalom. Okay? okay. Absalom, the father of peace. Absolutely, uh, not the father of peace. So David had Absalom, and he said, "No, I have also another guy called Solomon." So he wanted peace in his fire, in his life, and there was one guy who was a son of peace. And thou, Solomon, my son. Know thou the God of thy father. First thing, what should you do? Know. Just don't know the, know for yourself the God of thy father. Serve him with a perfect heart. That is the word shalom. A complete heart. Undivided heart. Perfect heart and a willing mind for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off for ever. Oh my goodness. Would to God if Solomon would have taken this very, very seriously. So, what is the exhortation that that God gives, uh, that uh, father gives uh, Solomon? He says, know first. Know the God of thy father. Don't know uh About the God of the Father. In other words, have a personal relationship. Let my God be your God. Why? Because God has no grandchildren. He has only sons. You need to have a personal relationship. Therefore, know thou the God of thy Father. And then you do serve him with a perfect heart. A heart which is at peace with him all the time. In other words. Hmm? And with a willing mind. The word is rendered as loyal in other translations. With a loyal heart. Loyalty ka matlab kya hai? Completely surrender to Him and absolutely loyal to Him. That is what a perfect man is. A perfect man means, a perfect heart means a, a heart which is at peace with God and a willing mind for the Lord searches the hearts. And understands understands all the imagination of the, of the thoughts. If thou seek Him, you will be fond of Him. And if you forsake Him, He will cast you forever. So what, that is His exhortation to, to Solomon. What is His prayer for Solomon? 29. 16 to 19. 29. 16 to 19. Of Chronicles. Oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all, and all is your own. And then, I know also my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of, of my heart, I've willingly offered all these things and now with joy I've seen your people who are present here to offer willingly for you, to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the hearts of your people and what? Fix their hearts towards you. Fix their hearts. His his mind was, his heart was set like a, his face was set like a flint. It was fixed towards Jerusalem. And then verse 19, look at this, his prayer for his son. And give my son Solomon. KJV please. Verse 19, KJV. And give my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies and thy statutes and to do all these things and to build the palace for the which, for the which I have made provision. I made provision, but let him, let his heart be absolutely loyal or perfect toward you. That was his prayer for Solomon. So he had a exhortation for Solomon. Second, he had a prayer for Solomon and also Look at what Solomon does in First Kings chapter 8 verse 61. And this is when he's, uh, exhorting the, uh, the people. This is what he's going to preach also. Verse 61. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord your God. This is Solomon. And he's praying. To walk in his statutes and to keep his test- commandments as it is this day. And what happens to Solomon? Verse 11. Chapter 11 now. Let's, let's read from verses 1 to 4. And let's read it in the KJV. How does it start? But, King Solomon loved many strange women. I like that word strange which is being added. Why? Do not go after what woman he says in Proverbs. Strange woman. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites. He had about 1300 if I'm right. Concubines and, 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 and uh, and wives together. Huh? Oh, so a thousand. Thousand. Can you imagine? He had physical relationship with thousand. And out of out of a thousand women, he had three hundred covenants made because the marriage is a covenant. Wife matlab He gave himself to pleasure. Daughter of women of Moab Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, He shall not go into them, neither shall He come, come, they shall come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their God Solomon clave unto these in love. That is what love does. You fall. Understand this. Next verse. And He had 700 wives. Thank you very much. 700 wives. Princesses. And 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart for it came to pass when solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with so the lord his god as was the heart of david his father this is very important you, let me tell you something this is possibly the quintessence of the of the christian life i'll tell you why turn to second chronicles Chapter 25, verse 1 and 2. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. Okay? KJV. Okay? Completely. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became to became king or when he reigned. And he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Johadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But not with a... Shucks, man. In other words, you can do something which is right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. You know why? It is the intentions which which matter. That is what peace is. Righteousness. Peace. Meaning compassion. Completely, no divided hearts. You can do a lot of things right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Let's read it in normal. And delivered a righteous lot. <laughs> what is he called? Righteous. In whose sight? In the sight of God. But was he perfect in his heart? No. We'll come to that. Delivered righteous Lord, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And then verse 8. And for the righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Think about it. He's called righteous three times, not just once. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything gets established. And who's, in whose sight is he righteous? He's righteous in the sight of God. So is he doing the right thing in the sight of God? Yes, absolutely. But is his heart perfect towards the Lord? Absolutely not. How do I know it? 1916. 1916. Genesis. Genesis 1916. And while he lingered. 15. Let's read from 15 onwards. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, he's still indecisive. You know why? Because his heart is not completely loyal to God. Divided heart. Divided in several directions, broken in several directions, tormented in several directions. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters. And the men being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside. They city. you know, think about this. Now, this, is, this is remarkable. He is righteous in the sight of the Lord, but his heart is not perfect toward him. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were also justified people. right? So they were righteous in the sight of the Lord. In as far as righteousness positionally by faith is concerned. But was their heart perfect towards them? Absolutely not. They came out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. They still talk, thought about the things of Egypt. Oh, the things that we so freely ate. <laughs> oh my goodness. Freely ate. The good old days. If your old days don't embarrass you, then you still happen to come out of Egypt. Unless, of course, those old days were rotten, God. Unless those days remind you of how God found you. (laughs) Life is too short, my dear brothers. Eternity is too long. Life is too short. Think about it. When you are 10 years old, one-tenth of your life is over. Okay, one tenth. Actually, I mean, one tenth is what is over. No, your life get gets lesser and lesser. One sixtieth is less than one tenth. Know that? One forty is less than one. One by forty is less than one by ten. If you know fractions, if the denominator keeps increasing, <laughs> the <laughs> the life keeps reducing. Okay. Till ten years old, every every year is only one by ten. Every year is what? Only 1 by 10. If you're 20 years old, every year is only 1 by 20. If you're 30 years old, every year is only 1 by 30. If you're 40 years old, every year is only 1 by 40. I'm teaching you fractions. If you're 50 years old, every year is, every year is only 1 by 50. So every year that is left is only 1 by 50. It's getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Only one life we have. The famous cliche almost has become a cliche in us, in our lives, in in Christian vocabulary, in Christian vernacular. Only one life which will soon be passed and what you do for God will last. It's a cliche almost. But how many of us really take that seriously? Understand that. Otherwise you'll have all kinds of crises in your life. Midlife crisis, end life crisis, all this. Oh, why do you want all crises? No crisis. Have one goal in your life and every day will be a like that song that we sing. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. That is just a song for some so many of us. Oh, it's a very nice tune. But really? Is it true? You know something? Only those people who have this purpose will be looking forward to something in life. How beautiful the other side of eternity is, right? I mean, the, the life in the new covenant is, right? For Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a total contrast. I am looking forward, boss. My life is being poured like a drink, drink offering. What a life that is. It's life well lived. I'm looking forward. I'm not depressed like Solomon. Live for yourself. This is exactly what has happened. It will happen. You can be right in the sight of the Lord, but absolutely without a perfect, perfect heart towards God. I like that. No, Second Chronicles chapter twenty-five verse two. Look at what it says. Just read that and underline it in your Bibles. Strange verse. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart or with a perfect heart. The eyes of the Lord. Run to and fro towards all the earth to make himself strong towards those whose heart is perfect. Actually, the word translation, perfect toward him. 2nd Chronicles chapter 16, if I'm right. 1610? I don't know. If you can see that verse for me. Yeah, 169. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect, perfect. That is what it means to be at peace with God. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with God and you have peace of God. That is a peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You know why? Because your heart is completely stayed on Him. He gives Him perfect peace whose heart or whose mind is stayed on Him. You are fixed on Him. Okay. What is the kingdom of God therefore? Righteousness, peace, Matlab. No undivided heart. Therefore, your prayer in Psalm 86 says, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Unite my heart to fear your name. Let me have a singularity of purpose. Let me not be double-minded, O Lord. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Have singleness of purpose. Singular. Make me single in that one purpose in our lives, Lord. I remember one man of God saying um, there used to be a guy in his, uh, in his, uh, in his church who would come for every meeting. Sunday school, he'd be there. Youth meeting, he'll be there. Women's meeting is there. Okay. Women's meeting is there. M- men's meeting is there. Every meeting is there. And one day, the pa- pastor got so frustrated with him and he said, why are you coming for every meeting? You know what he said? I got saved when I'm 67 years old. I want to catch up. Because I know my life is very short. Do we have that sense of urgency? One singleness. One thing is needful. Oh, Martha, 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 you are distracted with so many things. But one thing is needful to sit at my feet. And Mary has chosen that one thing. And therefore she will find her purpose. What was the purpose? Break the alabaster flask of oil and pour it at Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus says? This thing she has done for my burial. You know why? That one work they wanted to do after he died. And before they could do it, he was already risen and gone. No more opportunity. Sit at your feet and learn one thing. Otherwise, hmm, divided into several places. So be at peace. Otherwise you will be peace, peace. Divided. Divided, divided, divided. Singular. Ask God, because that is how we spend our time. No the, the more you are getting older, boss, become wiser. Hopefully, okay? grey hairs are good if you, grain, if you gain them in wisdom and in righteousness. Understand it? So, fine. Finally, join the. Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Ka matlab ka hai? Let me tell you, how do you find joy in the Holy Spirit? 1516 again of Jeremiah. Joy is actually the word kara. Okay. And uh, that is essentially a noun or an or a or a adjective, you can say what is a verb for joy. Rejoice. <laughs> okay, which again in Greek is Cairo, which is again the the, the 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 verb form of joy. Therefore, he says, and rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you forgot, again I say, rejoice. And how do you do that? Let me show you. Jeremiah sixteen fifteen sixteen. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was with me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart means your will for my life. I found it a lot. I found my will. I found my purpose. You know why? I transformed my mind. Now I'm able to prove that which is good. I'm able to prove that which is acceptable. I'm, I'm able to prove that which is perfect. And therefore I have joy. Another word place. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. But the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have Loved righteousness and hated knowledgelessness. Righteousness and peace. Therefore, you know what? If you love righteousness and you hunger and thirst after righteousness and seek peace with God, God will automatically fill your heart with joy. And this joy is given by God. we joy in God. How? How? You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. You know how we join God? <laughs> because you have found peace with God, you join God. I'll tell you how we join God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 17 and 18. Yes. And if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the sacrifice of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me you know what give your life for god and you will rejoice you will have no regrets simple give your life for god let your life be poured out see every time you spend time you know what you're doing you're pouring your life and it will never come back can you get that back that life back absolutely not That is the reason why, you know, many relationships, they get frustrated, no? Why? I poured out my life for you! And what did you give me in return to me? For all that I've done? I'll tell you something. Every earthly relationship will, you know what? (laughs) Will (laughs) frustrate you. Only God is the only God who will give back. You know what? You lose your life for me, and you'll find it. What is the satanic doctrine? Use your life and you will not never find it. That's the reason why it says the thief comes to steal and to kill. How does he kill? He says, you know what? Use your life for yourself and ultimately you will die. That's how he kills. And finally you will be destroyed. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So how do we continue in this life of faith? Righteousness. And how do we continue to have peace with God? And how do we continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit? Three things. I want to, I want to show you four things and we will stop. Acts chapter 14 verse 21 and 22. Acts chapter 14 verse 21 and 22. First, you have to have strength in your soul. Verse 22. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations that you should enter the kingdom of God. So first, your soul has to be made strong. He gave them their requests, but what what did he send? Leanness into their soul. How did iron enter into his soul? When he was in the purposes of God, what happened? Iron entered into his soul. It is through trials and tribulations your soul is made strong. First, be strengthened in your soul. Second, you should become a disciple. <laughs> so you should be strengthening the souls of not ordinary believers. They were disciples. Become a disciple of Jesus. Third, That they should continue in the faith. Continue. He who endures till the end will be saved. And that is, you must enter through many tribulations. Luke's gospel, chapter 16, verse 16, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God, the, since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing. You have to press on. This is deliberate. 11-12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Meaning you should be absolutely spiritually violent. Let me show you how you will be spiritually violent. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 now. One of the ways you will be spiritually violent. Several ways, but one of the ways you will be spiritually violent. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27 onwards. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And therefore, if you are right, I, causes you to sin. What should you do? Block it out. That is violence. If your right eye causes you to sin, block it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. First thing. Be careful about your own heart and your own life. Then turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And we will stop. Last verse. Matthew chapter 18. The last verse for the day verse seven onwards. Oh, thank you so much. You're already there. <laughs> woe to the world because of offenses for offenses must come. Now he's talking about in the context of little children, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes, okay. If don't cause any stumbling block for these little children. I mean, it's talking about little children, meaning little children in the faith. Therefore, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Meaning, for the sake of others, cut off. Sanctify yourself. It may be a lot for you, but for the sake of others. Maybe you are okay with that particular habit but for the sake of others. 1717 17, 18, 19. What is that? What seventeen, seventeen? John 17, 17, 18, 19. Okay? 17, 18, 19. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And verse, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And verse 19, For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. You know what you're doing? You separate yourself. You can do so many things. I can watch so many things. I'm telling you something. You know, after we have started the online classes, one of the terrible dangers that we have, that we have observed is that children are so good with technology. I'm talking, uh, I'm talking about children who are six years old, seven years old, five years old who are able to go into Zoom and were teaching their friends as to how they can do so many other things in Zoom. Things which you also don't know, many of you. Okay, It's dangerous. So what do we do as parents? We can do so many things, but for the sake of our children, we'll have to give it up. We can do so many things as pastors. But for the sake of the congregation, we we'll have to give it up. I can go to the movies. I can go to the malls. I can buy expensive gadgets if I want to. But I'll go for the cheap, not for the expensive. You know why? I can. But I don't want to. Become a cause of stumbling for others. So what do I do? I'll become spiritually violent. From the beginning the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Become spiritually violent. Be angry at yourself and at your sin and at the devil, not at others. At yourself, self-life, that is. You follow yourself, you belly. You're dictating my eating habits nonsense. No way. You will not dictate my eating habits. Paul says, I bring my body, I beat my body into subjection. I bring it under control. Lest having preached to others, I myself become what? Disqualified or a castaway. No way. No way, he says. I want to be able to control myself. and Bring it to subjection for the sake of others. I can do so many things. But I don't want to do it. Simply because I do not want to become a stumbling block to others. Become spiritually violent. Four things. What is that? First, first thing. He says, confirm, be strengthened. Established. Strengthen strong. Become strong in your convictions. Strengthen your souls, others. Second, Continue in the faith. Third, through many tribulations, okay, should enter into the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Why? Tribulation worketh patience. We'll look at that last verse, Romans chapter 5 verses 3 onwards. In the NASB, if you don't know, was actually 2 onwards, 2 also, 2 also. NASB, 2 also through whom we also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and character, hope, proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because our love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Amen. Amen. So, my dear brothers, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It is not concerned with this life. The belly is one of your biggest stumbling blocks. So we'll have to continue to ask God. Lord, grant me the grace to beat my body to subjection. To be spiritually violent. To pay the price. Pay the price Lord. Pay the price Lord. So that I can continue as a disciple in your kingdom. Let's pray. Father we just thank you Lord. We praise you. We worship you Father. So many truths we have learned today. I pray Father we will put them into practice. And we will walk with you. To that, and I pray that you would grant us the grace, O Lord, to fight this flesh every day, to crucify the flesh every day with its passions and lusts. For you said, "For those who are of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires." Father, grant us grace, O Lord, to be spiritually violent, to sanctify ourselves, to be determined, O Lord to be determined to fix our eyes, to be singular in our purpose, not to stray in our hearts, not to be carried away and be distracted by pleasures or by concerns of this world. Father, you have given us this time, even during this lockout, lockdown, oh Lord. Enable us, Lord, Father, to to make the best use of this time so that we can get our priorities straightened up. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.